Well, welcome to On the Other Hand. I have been told that this is episode 10. We are hitting the ground running here, and we have a guest with us today. And I just want to introduce you real quickly to Cody Farrington. Um, Cody and Sophie have joined our team at Church on the Rock at our North Campus um, up at the Y there in the Talkeetna Sunshine Trapper Creek area. And um, in fact, this past Sunday was your first Sunday up there all by yourself. Um, We did sort of the installment as them, as the pastors and whatnot over the past couple of weeks. But um, we're glad that they're on the team. But Cody, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your family. Yeah. uh, Lived in Alaska my entire life. Um, I have six awesome kids. Uh, My oldest is nine. Uh, My Youngest two are twins. They are three. No, I take that back. Last Sunday, my oldest turned 10, my first week preaching. That's so a lot right. going on. So I yeah. think I'm forgiven a little <laughs> bit for forgetting that she just had her birthday. Yep. On my first. I totally get it. My first real day of work, honestly. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, my wife and I, uh, our 11th anniversary is coming up in September, right around nice. the corner. Yeah, we've been married 11 years. Seems like it was just a couple years ago we got, I met her. I met my wife right back here behind the Wasilla campus uh, where Tyson, uh, our awesome worship leader up north, lives now. Uh, it was where Nate and Lacey Steele mm-hmm. ran the young adults group. Uh, Way back in 2009, 2010, that's okay. when uh, we were attending. And yeah, uh, we met there, got married uh, nine months later. And yeah, I don't believe in a long engagement. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we got married uh, nine months later and uh, lived here in Wasilla, attended Church on the Rock Wasilla for five years. Uh, I worked framing houses and all the wonderful weather that Wasilla has to offer, uh, and um, moved down to Homer in 2015. Felt just really uh, called by the Lord to go down there um, so I could grow uh, in my faith, really, um, and just pursue the Lord like I had never been able to before. Um, and so when you went to Homer, you specifically went to attend the Alaska Bible Institute yeah. down there as students. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I actually, I got hurt at work. Actually, Kitchery prayed for me. That's that's a whole nother story. Uh-huh, I remember um, that. And that was, I was able to walk into the doctor's office after an MRI and the doctor was like, what are you doing walking? Yeah. Like, Miracles. Yeah, it, it was really interesting. She just felt led that morning. We were sitting up front and, and saw you over there, and she had history and relationship, in particular with Sophie, but mm-hmm. felt like the Lord was leading her to go and talk to you, pray for you, and uh, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. So then you guys headed to Homer, um, attended the Bible school down there. Give us a little bit of the history there. Yeah, uh, showed up in 2015 at Alaska Bible Institute. Attended classes for two years. Actually, got um, three months in. Got invited to be on staff there, and I was like, "No, I don't think that that's a good idea. I want to just be a student, and I I will help and I will serve uh, in whatever ways that I can. But I just want to focus on uh, being a student and growing uh, in my relationship with the Lord, growing in my capacity as a husband and as a father." 
and like that's what I want to focus on right now. And yeah. um, and I really, uh, my heart is to serve people and serve uh, the Lord and His people, and and so I jumped in all the time, uh, probably more often than I should have, and just helped uh, whatever needed to be be done, and uh, and. So I was uh, did an internship program uh, at Alaska Bible Institute the, the third year that I was there. Okay. It was actually the first year that they had interns and then uh, went on staff right after that, revamped and rebuilt the internship program hmm. uh, in that first year that I was uh, officially on staff there and just had an amazing... Uh, six years down there, uh, actually, you know, you, you pulled me up here kicking and screaming, honestly, <laughs> the whole time. That's true. And, and you and I both know, um, that community, the Homer community, um, man, once you're experiencing that, it's hard to think of leaving or going somewhere else. And, oh. and you're right. We had been pursuing you for a while, knew that it was in your heart to be in pastoral ministry mm-hmm. and specifically um, the Talkeetna area, which is where Sophie is from yeah. um, originally. Now, you were born in Anchorage? I was born, don't tell anybody this, I was born in California. Oh, no. I was born in yeah. L.A. Yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this <laughs> this interview up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was born in L.A. and we moved from... LA to Valdez, Alaska when I was, I was only three years old. It was right after my third birthday, actually, that we moved to Valdez. So I try not to like make that public knowledge. Well, Uh, too late now. Um, So (laughs) yeah, when this goes viral, you're in all kinds of trouble. Um, Yeah. 10 episodes in, I haven't seen one go viral yet. Yeah, me either. But (laughs) hey, who knows? There's always this wild outside chance. So what I want to key in on, and and I want you to know, um, we are currently, as a church, um, in a series just called Stand or The Stand. We do this every year, and really what it's built around is this vision that Julia Bowles, our community development um, uh, individual, had a dream for. And that is asking the question, as a church, how can we stand with families in crisis? How can we stand with um, children uh, in crisis? How do we provide network circles of support for those family relationships? And what many people may not know is a significant piece of your story actually has to do with that exact theme, um, because you went into the foster care system here in the state of Alaska Mm -hmm. and actually grew up in foster care. And so can you tell us a little bit about that journey, that process here in the state? Yeah, um... So I went into the foster system when I was uh, right at the end of my freshman year of high school, actually, um, and moved from Valdez, which growing up, I never felt like it was a remote place in Alaska. Now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty far away. Uh, Went from Valdez to Kenny Lake, which is by Chitna, which is way off the beaten path. Um, It's not... a you know, it's, it's still on the road system, so you can still access it, but it's, you know, far away and, mm-hmm. uh, out of the way. But I just had an amazing, uh, high school years there. Um, my foster parents were believers and just provided me like the, 
like the childhood experience of just being able to be a teen, not have to worry about things that kids shouldn't have to worry about uh, yeah. and have like solid, healthy people in my life, in my mm. circle, supporting me. And actually, uh, my, our neighbors, uh, they had a son, my age, my, our neighbors there in Kenny Lake, they had a son, my age, and he became my best friend and his family, just a super solid Christian family that I just fell in love with them. And they became like my, uh, the template that I wanted to use. Mm. I was like, that's, that's the way I want my family to be. That's like mm. the dynamic I want in my family. And they, they actually had two sets of twins. And uh, so I felt pretty honored and blessed that we had twins. I was like, oh, man, it's really, it's really coming together. And, uh, they're just, uh, they, they were just a huge blessing. My whole experience in the foster system is probably unique in that, one, I was with the same family throughout, uh, throughout mm. my time in the system. And it was just all really positive and life-giving. Um, it that, was That is unique um, because you don't hear that story very often. Now, one of the unique pieces that you had shared with me is that the family that you were placed with were not unknown to you. Yeah. They had actually had some relationship with your biological parents in the past, but then they themselves had had this encounter with Jesus. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't um, for you as though you were going into a totally unknown environment. Can you explain a little bit of how that transition felt for you? It's funny that you talk about that because I never really thought of it being a unique thing at the time. It was just, I think, because my whole world was just turned upside down, it was... I think it probably made the adjustment a little easier as I look back on it. Uh, but I remember knowing that what was happening was good and it was going to be good for me, but I didn't want it to happen. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, I honestly, uh, I remember driving to their house and just imagining a sign above the road that said, welcome to your personal hell. Hmm. And thinking like, yes, this is this is just going to be terrible. Like, what is going on? Uh, why is this happening to me? So it was. It's. I know now that it was all a part of the Lord's plan for me and for my life, and and how good it really was. But I remember early on not wanting to be there, and trying to devise ways that I could get out of that situation. And I even remember looking up like boarding schools on the East coast and, and, Mm. and asking the question, like, could, could you just send me here? Because I don't, I didn't believe that anybody would actually want me. Mm. I didn't believe that I was worth having in anybody's life at that time. And that was actually something I struggled even in, uh, when my wife and I started dating, like I'm going to ruin this person's life. Mm. She should stay far away from me. Um, so, so let, let me just, uh, maybe key in on that mm-hmm. for, for a moment, because I, I wouldn't say that's entirely unique to mm-hmm. kids who enter into the foster system or adoption, right? It, it happens, I think in, 
in your typical family as well, but it is certainly very common in, in that environment. And I think often what people view, like if you were to ask me the question, if I was your foster family, hey, could I go live over here on the East Coast, right, at this boarding school? Could you just send me there? My tendency would be to interpret that as you don't want to be here, mm-hmm. right? You don't like me or you don't like this environment. But what you're really saying is that what was happening internally is you didn't believe you were worth people investing in, that you were going to ruin this family like you had ruined your other family, that there was this um, unhealthy sense of ownership or blame that you were carrying around with you. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I think that's important, especially for people involved with foster care and especially involved with older children, um, to recognize that what often may present itself even as anger um, or defiance or rebellion um, or even just questions has very little to do with you as the foster parent and more to do with their view of themselves. Um, And if you could believe that, right, then you could probably love better without being Mm. personally offended. Yeah. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. That makes a lot of sense. So, but they stuck with it. They said, nope. Yeah. You're here. You're with us. We're not sending you away. How long did it take for you to finally begin to believe that what had happened in your biological home was not your fault um, mm-hmm. and that your identity was not tied up in that situation? Honestly, that took a long time and a lot of, uh, a lot of work. Uh, and I didn't uh, even feel like I was fully free of that till the year before we actually moved to Homer. Hmm. I did fresh start with my wife here in Wasilla and she had really wanted to do it for a long time. And I was like, "Ah, I don't want to do that. Like, and when we decided to go to go to Homer, so we could go to ABI, uh, I was like, all right, well maybe I'll go and do this with you because, you know, then we can, we can come into this situation and I'll have, you know, cleaned myself up a little bit and I can not, uh, not have to work so hard on me and I can just focus on studying and, and, uh, and I honestly going into, we did a small group. I did a small group with some other men, uh, Ray Otto led it still, uh, like really grateful for him and the, mm. the encouragement he gave me during that time. And uh, I remember going into that small group setting thinking, the Lord might use me in somebody's life in here. And <laughs> like, I don't actually have much that I need to work on. And my idea of forgiveness up until that point in my life was, okay, I've, I've said I forgive you in my mind and my heart, uh, and now I'm just going to stuff all these feelings down and try to never think about them again. And it was my week to share, and all that whole week leading up to that, I didn't actually go through the process book. And so for the 30 minutes before <laughs> the small group started, I was out in the van frantically writing <laughs> down my answers and I remember going in to share and thinking, okay, I'll just be able to talk through this really quickly and be done with it. And I just was wrecked and cried and was, uh, felt just like 
this burden just coming off of me as mm-hmm. I was talking through that with these guys. And, and I got, I had gotten to that last page, that release page, and I didn't fill it out. And I remember one of the guys in the group, the guy actually on the first day was like, oh, I bet the Lord will use me to help this guy because he's, he's messed up. <laughs> he put his hand on my shoulder and he's like, I don't, I don't think you've actually released anything yet and you, you, should, you should do that. And just like, just everything just started coming out and I was like, yeah. And, and Ray was like, I want you to, um, you, you have to share again next week. And he made me do it all over again. <laughs> and so, you know, over the week, I ignored doing it and did it at the last minute again. But I finished it this time and was able to, like, share, like, confidently and, like, like yeah, I've, I've really released this. And it was at that time I really began to to let those things go and really, truly release those things. And... um. And then it, going to ABI and uh, Nate Nate Steele, he had he taught Christian living at that time, and and it was like fresh start on steroids, and and it it made me dive into those things even deeper, and figured out that now I now that I've released this, I have to go back and rebuild and figure out mm-hmm. my gifts and strengths that the Lord has given me, and what my identity is, and who who God has actually made me to be. Yeah. And, was able to build off of that and then getting the opportunity to teach later. Like it didn't matter what class that I taught. I was like, you guys need to know who you are. You need to figure out your identity and we're going to spend a good portion of time just working on identity first. And then we'll, we'll dive more into, Mm. into God's word. And and that's all rooted in God's word, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, we've just got a few minutes left here. Um, but I want to um, revisit a conversation you and I had. We were just on a rafting trip here last week um, and doing some fly fishing, which is a great place to talk and yeah. talk about life. And 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 for me, you know, as an adoptive parent, um, as someone who's been involved in foster care, and as someone who has um, uh, adopted children in my family, um, we started talking a little bit about. Um, forever family, right? This language that's used in foster care and, and adoption. And um, and even for us as a church, the heart gallery and these kids who are about to age out of the system mm-hmm. um, and yet have not been adopted into a family. And I didn't realize until that conversation that you and I had, you had actually never been adopted by the foster family that you were with the whole time. But as soon as you described it to me, it immediately made sense as to why not because of my own experience in, in my family. And, um, and so I want to just spend a moment maybe talking a, a little bit about that, but could you describe that scenario um, and sort of how that decision was made to not take the next step to uh, legal adoption? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember, uh, I remember the day actually very well, uh, my foster mom showed up to school. I was, uh, so I had, they had a biological, they have a biological daughter who I got very close to. Like she was a huge support. She's actually the first person who said, I think God wants you to be a pastor someday. And hmm. like, didn't feel worthy of that. And, but it was like this thing in my heart ever since that was, I was like, 
that's something I want to do. Someday. Interesting. I, I believe that the Lord is calling me to do that. Anyway, we were in choir class. Believe it or not, I was in choir. But it's good to know. I yeah. my <laughs> choir teacher was a super sweet lady. She let me participate, and when we would go places, just lip sing. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Millie Vanilli. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, I, she, she, uh, my foster mom showed up right at the end of choir class, and she told me, uh, you know, the the state has full custody of you, um, and. And you're you're with us. You can stay with us, you know, forever until you graduate. Yeah. And you're you're ours. And I just like I didn't fully understand or comprehend. But my my foster mom was super excited and happy. And I remember my my foster sister Rachel just jumping up and down and screaming. And she was like super giddy. And I was like why would anybody be that excited to have me around, mm. you know? Um, and shortly after that, they, uh, my foster parents, they, they asked me, you know, would you like us to adopt you? We would, you know, we will, we, we would be happy to, we love you. Mm. Like no matter what you choose, like we're forever your family. Yeah. And I was like, no, like you, d- you don't need to do that. Like I, I know that you love me. I know you care about me, but we don't, we don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, it really, it just came back to feeling like I'm not worthy of something like that. I'm, yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not worthy of that kind of love and affection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what really clicked for me, because it's a question I've wrestled with, um, even in relationship to my own sister and, um, is, uh, that that is potentially too much pressure right to yeah. to put on a teenager in general and then in particular someone who is in the position that you're in and so what you were describing is i think my reason for saying no that's not necessary was more i didn't want to be a burden to yeah and that um maybe if we ask the question in this way um we want to adopt you would you allow us to do that might be an easier question for someone at that season mm-hmm. to answer. I think that would be a much easier, better way to ask a, a, a teenager or a kid who's in that situation, you know, yeah. uh, and not to, you know, fault my foster parents for that. No. You know, I, they were, they had never been in that situation before either. So they're, you no. know, figuring it out and they're, and, and have I think, the best of att- intentions. Yeah, I think know? from a foster parent's perspective, I'm I'm trying to honor you. I wouldn't want to yeah. force anything on you. And mm. yet, at yeah. the same time, there is something significant about um, knowing that we want this, right? Would you allow this? Um, that takes some of the pressure off, um, but also provides you this network of support that extends beyond aging out of the system or moving out of the house or those kinds of things that there's an extra layer of bond that is created there um, a sense of responsibility to one another which we don't have time to get into all of right now but you know it just even today as we were talking earlier and you describing once I left for college I realized yeah. I had left all of my circles of support behind mm-hmm. and there wasn't anything to anchor me back to those things and that's really the question we're asking as a church is how do we create those circles of support that go all the way into adulthood mm-hmm. right for kids and for families that extend beyond this brief interaction that we have now whether it's 
through OCS or whether it's through agencies like the Heart Gallery or Beacon Hill, Safe Families. And so, hey, I we're out of time, but man, I totally appreciate your willingness yeah. to share your story with us. I know it's going to be impactful for people who are listening and um, glad you guys are on the team, man. Yeah. Thank you for having us. So there you go. That's the time we have for today. Um, you can like, subscribe, share, all those sorts of things. But um, we're going to try and consistently bring content every month to you on these kinds of topics and have guests from time to time. And so, hey, that's all the time we have for now. But I just want to say thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next time.